Hey, you guys. Um, man, I think you're going to really love this podcast with Renee Clark. So this is the interesting thing about Renee. She is a preacher's wife and she is a preacher's daughter and she is about the sweetest thing ever. She's very cute. She's very small. Um, I'm saying that cause I'm 5'11 and I'm not small, but she's just like, you just want to like, Oh, you just want to squeeze her. But she's also got this huge voice and part of her huge voice is because she's got a sweet, soft voice and things about her that I'm finding out. It's like this, it's like this amazing gift that I keep opening in friendship with her because she's a neighbor and I go to church with her, but also our friendship has developed, but she's kind of one of those people where I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't want to like cuss too much around her. You know what I mean? I don't know how she feels about that. I want to be, you know, she makes me act like a lady. Let's put it that way. So I was driving down the street cause you know, my car is my office and it's my only place to get away where it's quiet and I can record something. And I was getting ready to record my podcast with my friend Jen Cooper, who's my uh, black friend, and we were going to talk, and it was my first time talking about the subject, and I was already like nervous, my pits were sweaty, and I drive down the street past Renee's house, who you're going to hear from in just a moment, and there in the window is a homemade Black Lives Matter sign and a George Floyd sign in the other window, and listen, we live in a very white older neighborhood she and I do and I was like okay first of all she's got balls and second of all she must have gone to the protest because why else would you have that sign right and it I was already so emotional and kind of like high strung because I was nervous that I kind of started crying and then I called and I left her a message and I'm like you're just so inspiring to me um you've emboldened me to feel like gosh if she can do it I can speak up and talk and ask questions and be wrong and fumble and say the wrong things and do the wrong things. And if I do that, and if I keep showing up and falling down and getting back up, I'm going to learn. And I can tell you that I am learning a lot. So anyway, I hope you really enjoy this. Let's get to Renee. I think you're going to love it. Oh, hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. It's Diana Fakay, and this is my good friend, Renee Clark. And we are friends and we go to the same church and we are neighbors. Um, and I was recording a podcast and drove by her house the other day and saw a sign in her window that like just lit me up. I was so happy to see the sign and living in Orange County, you don't necessarily know how everyone feels. So it was, I, I sent her a little tearful text after, and then we chatted after. So Anyway, this is Renee. I'm super fired up to talk to her. I think she's such a loving, awesome voice and such a great leader. So, okay. Hi, Renee. Hi. It's so good to talk to you. Yay. Thank you so much. Um, Well, can you introduce yourself and tell people kind of a little bit about your story? Sure. Yeah, so I'm happy I get to be your neighbor. It's been fun getting to yeah. know you. Um, uh, we live right down the street, which is fun. Um, I actually grew up in Oklahoma and have lived all over the Midwest and then um, 
different parts of Southern California and thankful that I get to live in Huntington Beach now. Um, I've been all kinds of things in my life, but Mm -hmm. I grew up in a pastor's family. My dad is a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up like a preacher's kid. And um, Mm -hmm. then um, I ended up marrying a pastor. And um, so we've, that's part of why we've moved from different places is to be part of different Mm -hmm. churches. And then um, I was a teacher. I I taught English um, in junior high and high school. I loved that. And most recently, I um, am, I've been trained to do what's called life plan, which is sort of like life coaching. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's a little more intensified where you kind of do it over a matter of two days. And um, it's very focused on who you are and how you're wired and what your purpose is for whatever season of life you're in. And that has been so life-giving to me, really been enjoying that. Um, Especially in this season of my life where we have two kids and one of them is married and one of them is a sophomore in college. And so um, I have a lot of more time now to pursue things Mm -hmm. that I'm interested in outside of my family. And so that's kind of where I am. Yeah, I love the second chapter. I'm seeing, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have that for a while, but I'm seeing a lot of my friends start that second chapter where you get to figure out, you know, who do I really want to be and sort of cultivate that life. And I, I really admire what you're doing with your work. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So, um, well, in, did you, let's see. Hmm. What do I want to ask you? I get to ask you all the things. <sighs> okay. Did you ever feel like you would be speaking up like you did last weekend by going to the protest? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess I've all my whole life. I've been a person who speaks up about things that matter to me, Mm -hmm. but I would Mm -hmm. never, no one would classify me as an activist or, um, even an advocate necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a pretty calm level, um, person that I care deeply about people. I'm kind, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm, I could be considered somewhat passive, I guess, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I just want everyone Mm -hmm. to get along, you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. I love and I love love. And I just want everyone to be at peace and Mm -hmm. get along with each other. And so, yes, I've surprised myself a little bit, I'd have to say, uh, by standing up for Black Lives Matter right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, attending a protest. My first protest, actually, Diana, this is kind of a funny story. Um, I actually organized or tried to organize a protest when I was in high school. And it was about, I had, we had off-campus lunch. And so you Mm -hmm. could drive somewhere for lunch if you wanted, or you could stay and eat in the cafeteria. Um, But it was a really small cafeteria because we had Mm off-campus lunch, right? And so Mm -hmm. everybody drove or walked places. And one time I went with some friends, it was in their car, and we got into a little um, fender bender at over lunch. And so I was late returning back um, to my class after lunch. And so I had to stop in the office to get a tardy slip at like one does. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the office staff 
was very militant it felt like about how this is going on your record and you should not be getting back tardy and this is an unexcused tardy and it just flared up my like justice flag I guess and I was like no no that is not fair because I I was in a car I could I had no control over getting back on time I wasn't even driving Mm-hmm. And they said, their response was, no, you did have control. You could have chosen to stay here and eat lunch here. Mm-hmm. And so you could have been to class on time. And I just thought that was unfair, right? As a 17 year old, I thought that was unfair. And so I organized what I called at the time Black Thursday, um, mm-hmm. where we were all going to just stay on campus that Thursday. I was going to try to get the whole school to not go out to lunch on that Thursday. But the principal got word of it. I was just trying to pass it around word of mouth. The principal got word of it, called me in her office and would not let that happen because she said we were scaring the um, cafeteria ladies. Yeah. Um, so it kind of got shut down before it happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so, so you, that was my first time a, Yeah, you've got a little bit of an activism, uh, you know, you got that seed in there for sure. Right, how did right. It, how did it feel going downtown? You know what, it... It felt because you walked and it's about what it's three about quarters a mile, of a mile maybe yeah 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 about yeah. a mile walk and I didn't think anything of it really mm-hmm. I mean you know we ha- grabbed our sign we made a couple signs mm-hmm. um, grabbed them started walking and about a block away, away from our house I thought oh I didn't even think about that like our neighbors might see us walking with these signs. Yeah. And what will they think? Okay. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm very concerned about what other people think. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are, but you are not alone. I've been trying to retrain my brain to not always worry about what other people think. Mm -hmm. Um, But it did, it registered with me. Oh, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some neighbors might think, might think something, might make assumptions. And I just want them to know my heart. I want them to understand. Sure. So I had to just kind of put that aside and uh, we walked downtown and we just talked with each other. And then finally it was my husband and my son and I walked down together and, um, and my son's 19, like he was making this decision on his own. Mm -hmm. Um, but we got, as we got downtown, like to main street, we saw that a lot of, a lot of the businesses were boarding up and, Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't thought about that in advance that that might be happening. And so that was kind of what eye opening, like, Oh, right. Yeah. They're concerned about riots. Mm-hmm. Am I concerned about a riot, you know? And then right. there were lots of people out on the street. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, there was a lot of people out on the street and we, we got some interesting looks. We had some people ask us to pose for a picture, which of course we did not. We were just like, anyway, we just kept moving. Yeah. And, but the comment was, well, you got all dressed up and came out for this. Don't you want your picture taken? You know, just kind uh, of like a degrading kind of remark and we right. just kept moving. And my and my son had told me ahead of time, like, don't engage, mom. It's just don't oh, engage. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just remember why you're here. Remember why you're here. You don't have to prove it to anybody and whatever. And so then the further we walked, we had some people um, telling us to go back home. Go home. Go home to your town. Mm-hmm. Don't come to our town and protest mm-hmm. here. And I wanted so badly to stop and explain that we are residents of Huntington Beach and we have a right to protest and so do you, you know, and right. I, I so bad want to explain my heart and listen to the other person's heart, but that sure. was not the time or the place. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we just kept moving forward. And so, yeah, how did I feel? I felt strong, but I also felt scared. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I did not go down and protest on Sunday. Sunday was the day that I'm assuming you went because that was the day that they had um, everybody out. I yes. sat at home and I cried so much that my three-year-old kept saying, mommy, are you upset? Are you upset? Aww. And I just couldn't turn it off because there were so many layers of like how sad it is to me to see anti-protesters, which I know are in a very small majority, but things like this tend to bring out the, like the cuckoo in, you know, like, I don't even know where these people are coming from that take their shirts off and, you know, taunt, you know, college kids that are out protesting. Um, and that just don't really seem to see it in like, they just see it as like a black and white issue and not a gray issue where, you know, we all, there really is common ground. I mean, any sensical person can see that um, right now our brown and black families need to see us speak up in this community and say, you matter to us. We see that you're hurting. We know that you're hurting. Our heart is breaking for you. And that's, I mean, people want to be seen and heard. And that's what the protest is about. It's not about really breaking windows. Unfortunately, there's that element of people who will take advantage. And I owned a business downtown. I've been through a couple of riots. But honestly, none of the riots I ever saw downtown were for an imp a very important cause. I mean, it was all just about getting drunk and breaking stuff and stealing bikes out of bike shop windows and stuff like that. So I really yeah. just felt like, um, you know, this is important. It was, it was important. And I, I, as much as I want to say, Hey, everybody from out of town, come on in and spend your money downtown and keep our economy thriving and, you know, shop in our shops and, you know, drink in our bars and all that kind of stuff. I also think that they should be welcome to come here and voice their opinion peacefully. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you think that it's possible? This is a question I totally struggle with. I know my answer. Um, but I feel like if you say Black Lives Matter, you get painted into this corner that you don't support law enforcement. And I don't feel that way at all. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to that at all. Yeah, I would say I agree with you. <clears throat> um, and yeah, being for people of color, being for Black Lives Matter does not mean you are against Blue Lives Matter or that you mm -hmm. are against police in general or law enforcement. I am against police brutality. Mm -hmm. And I do want to stand up for racial equality. And I want to stand up for the disparity that there is that there are more Black people killed by police than there are any other race. I want to I want to stand up for that it's time to build trust between the two groups, right? And part of that is, even though I'm not a law enforcement person, I'm not a police officer, it, it's part of my responsibility as a white middle-class person to do my part to build the trust um, for public safety. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very difficult question. Uh, agreed, mm -hmm. you know, um, but, you know, just because I know someone who's a good police officer doesn't really, doesn't mean that the entire law enforcement system is pure and clean. Mm -hmm. Right. Just because I'm, my family's a part of a church ministry and we know that 
our decisions have been moral and good doesn't mean that the whole church system is moral and good and has been good to everyone. Right. Right. It also doesn't mean that we're all bad. Right. I mean, you know, it's right. It's hard to general. It's definitely hard to generalize. Yeah, for sure. I wonder, um, because so, you know, it, it just is one of those things that when you live in Orange County and specifically Huntington, Newport, these areas, I mean, I know I, I lived in Long Beach during college, um, but uh, the large majority of my friends here, the choices that I have are pretty much white. I've got a few um, black friends and I've got a few Hispanic friends. I've got one Muslim friend, but just generally like the choices that you have, the people your kids go to school with are white people. And I wonder if you have an opinion about why this particular case has resonated so much among like middle-class. I mean, I just feel like it's, it always had like this kind of stuff always has our heart, but this in particular, like something has turned on and tuned us all in. Yeah, agreed. And, and I can only really speak for myself in that I'm a middle-aged, middle-class white woman. Same, yeah. Um, and the, and some of the reasons that I'm looking into myself, like why is this finally triggering with me? Why is this finally moving me into action? Mm-hmm. Part of the reason, um, as I was with my son, trying to help him figure out what to write on the signs for his him going to a protest, um, I suggested, I think you ought to write down somebody's name I think you need to write George Floyd's name or Breonna Taylor's Mm -hmm. name because if it Mm -hmm. was you if this had happened to you I I would want your name to be remembered and honored and um, noticed and as an individual and I think for some of us maybe it's because we're becoming moms of young adults yeah just like some of these young adults and teens that we're seeing killed in the streets. And, and so maybe that's part of what's waking it, waking us up. I know for me, a lot of it is because my kids who are young adults are waking up and standing up and they're speaking Mm -hmm. up. And so it challenges me to look into myself. It's an invitation for me to pause and examine why have I not taken action before I've taken some action, you know, along Mm -hmm. the way, I, I feel like for me, it's been a slow waking up over the past 10 to 20 years of hearing about different things in the news, seeing it with my own eyes. I think that's one thing that makes this, this time a little bit different is that we're seeing it with our own eyes. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, it's kind of been that slow waking up of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to follow some people of color on social media. Mm -hmm. That's something I can do. I'm going to, I'm going to sign a petition. That's something I can do. I'm going to, you know, but it's all been kind of within the safety of my own home. Yeah. Um, and so I think that following some of those um, prominent people of color on social media has made me more aware. And it's it's provided me then with new information that I wasn't seeing before. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have just like you, I have a few, but I do have friends of color. Um, mm-hmm. And I have some people in my family who are who have who are brown or black or Native American. And mm-hmm. that kid's pretty close to home, right? When it's people in your right. extended family. When it's someone that you love. Yeah. Yes. And you think, you know what, why am I not standing up for them? Why right. these, you know, these 
kids in my family are starting to drive and they're nervous now about being pulled over by the police, you know? And I just think I heard one of the people that I started following, her name is Dr. Anita Phillips. And she said this week, she said, sometimes we make things so complicated when it's not really complicated. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I have to admit that some of it I've avoided because it's hard. As soon as I post something on social media, or as soon as I go to a protest, as soon as I speak out to a friend, call out racism, then I'm going to face the backlash of somebody possibly not understanding my heart, of somebody maybe not being able to find the common ground, of somebody disagreeing with me, and I avoid conflict at all costs. And so that's scary to me. But... I think what has, I don't know, drawn me into action is that first I was becoming more aware and awareness does lead to action. And that's been shown in my own personal life. And then it's it's shown in the public as well. Raising Mm -hmm. awareness does lead others to action as well. It's definitely leading to me taking action. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, Something was waking up in me last Sunday and I am ashamed that it's taken so long because I love people. I love people. And, you know, I feel like for all intents and purposes, I could have had a black kid right now. I could have had an Indian kid because I adopted Mia pretty much sight unseen, knowing that she was just a little girl, you know, like I went to meet her and that's it. They were like, she's a seven year, well, six and a half year old girl when I met her. And I would have taken anything. I just wanted another baby, you know, but when you get past the skin color and that this is, these are human beings, these are human beings that are living in poverty and there's that issue. And these are human beings that are feeling afraid to let their teens go drive around. I mean, I saw like this really handsome, well-spoken gentleman speaking on Ellen yesterday about you know, his experience. And he was like, you know what? Don't talk to me about the people that are throwing bricks in windows. He said, it's like, he said something like, I don't know what the stat was, but like 0.000009 people have ever been arrested for throwing a brick in a window that are a black person. It's just such a small percentage of the actual population that would do that. And he's like, and if you get down to it, I'm a black man raising two black kids two black boys in Los Angeles. If you think I'm not invested in peace, I'm the most invested in peace. And that really makes sense because these people are the ones that have the most to lose. Yeah. You know, I mean, we might lose a business. We might have a broken window. We might have vandalism on our car through a riot, but the pe- if we don't see change, the people that have the most to lose are these people who keep losing. Absolutely. It's the people who have the knee on their neck that keep losing. And so I think that they are probably the most invested in peace. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think that, you know, this whole, the hard, what what I said earlier, like one of the hardest parts about speaking up or trying to change is worrying about what other people are going to think. Yep. But another thing that's equally as hard is finding the traces of racism in ourselves. Like in myself, because I've said it, I don't know how many times throughout my life of I'm not racist. I'm sure I probably have some prejudices, but I'm definitely not racist because I've been raised to love all people and love everyone just like you. But 
as you asked me to consider um, talking to you on this podcast, I recalled a time when I was a teacher. I was fresh out of college, um, teaching seventh grade English, love and life, you know, learning, yeah. but I thought I knew everything too, you know? Um, sure. And I got called out by um, a family that felt like I was singling out their son as um, an African-American boy and that mm -hmm. I was I was catching him doing things wrong more often than other students. Interesting. And okay. so, yeah, so I was being accused of, of racism as a teacher against this boy. And so the parents and, and the boy came in and my principal sat with me, right? My white principal. Um, and mm -hmm. he defended me. He basically spoke for me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and we moved on. Um, but I think right. about thinking about that now, if I would have known then what I know now, if I would have been awake then, like I'm awake now, I would yep. have listened better. I would have paid better attention and asked for their help in noticing it. Like the same year, I also got called out <laughs> by a teacher, um, a fellow teacher whose son was in my class um, for for how I was treating her son. And I mean, I'm a kind, loving person. That's why I went into teaching was because I had seen disparity <laughs> as a student of how students are treated differently. I'm going to go change the world by being a loving, kind person in authority. Right. So that's sure. my whole approach. So I wasn't out, you know, out and out on purpose being mean to kids. Right. But, right. but this other child um, had some, um, hyperactivity um, disorders and um, the way that I had approached him, his mom was a teacher in our building and she came to me and talked to me about it and, and educated me on how to better approach a student like her son. And it was so helpful, right? And I'm, I'm guessing that these parents of, of the boy that came in and accused me of racism probably really wanted to help me, help yeah. me understand. They wanted to help their son. Mm -hmm but they probably also wanted to help me not do that again. Yeah, like, but I was and so, help make their community better. Yes. But I was so scared and so defensive because no, no, I hundred percent. No, I'm not racist. So you must be right. making this up. Right. I mean, yeah. And I'm embarrassed to admit right. that, but it's true. No, I don't think you need to be embarrassed to admit it. And you know what? I think, I think that we're probably going to have people that will, comment on this I mean I don't know if anyone actually listens to it besides like my mom my sweet mama and <laughs> Hi, like mom. some friends but um I think that people will comment on this and call us out on certain things that we say and in a year from now possibly when we're bigger better badder women and no more when we listen to this in a year from now maybe we'll think wow we're better we learned we're different right. and you know, we, and I think to be open to that, like you gotta be open to fumble. You gotta be open to mess up, to suck, to be wrong. If you want to learn and grow. Yep. Exactly. You know, yep. I mean, I can tell you my, my little girl who loves to bake is inside and we got halfway through making this apple pie and I let her do the whole thing. And then she just dumped a whole bunch of cornstarch. And now she's got basically a bunch of little biscuits mixed in, mixed in with her sauce <laughs> instead of like taking the water and the cornstarch and putting it in water and shaking it and making it into a liquid first. And, but that's how she learns, you know, I'm going to go in after this call and I'm going to help her sift all that out. And we're going to try again, but unless you're willing to fumble, 
be, and it's such a vulnerability yeah. thing yeah. because who wants to be wrong when it comes to something that's so big, right? I mean, this is such a big, this is a big thing, girl. Yeah. And I don't want to be wrong. And I'm so afraid of being wrong that I stay quiet. Yeah. So maybe the thing is, is like us talking about this, me posting it on social media, us being vocal, maybe that's the thing that's going to help other ladies that shop where we shop, eat what we eat, lunch where we lunch, go to church where we go to church. Maybe it's going to make them say, you know what? It's okay. If I'm not perfect, it just is important that I speak up and try. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to add? You know what? The la- the only other thing as I thought about all of this is I, I- I'm a Christian. I know you are too. And I've, I've been reading lots of books, uh, t- just diving into social media, right? right? And this morning when I woke up, I felt like God was just like tapping me on the shoulder saying, just come sit with me. Let me teach you because I've been dealing with this since the beginning of time. I know a few things that you might need to know about racism, about being an anti-racist, about loving everyone. I know a few things. So why don't you come sit with me? And um, I was reminded of this, the verses in, um, in the New Testament, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about how we're all part of the body. And when one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting. I mean, and if we think about our physical bodies, right? Like if I stub my toe, I mean, I can barely get through the rest of the day without complaining about it, right? Yeah. And the toe isn't the main part of my body, right? Or if I have a headache, it affects everything else. And so this, this so stood out to me that there's this scripture that says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And I think that's exactly what Black people are asking us to do right now is suffer with us. Will you suffer with us a little bit? Girl, and I love it. Yeah. So yeah, that, that'd be the only last thing I would share. Uh, besides mm, that, I'm so, so thankful to be going through this with you side by side. Someone yeah, that we can learn together and we're not judging each other. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be that for other yeah, people. Yeah, and I mean... And I think also creating the safe place where you can say to me, you know, I listened to that the other day and I didn't agree with what you said, or, um, I don't see it that way. Yeah. And, and being able to have a conversation without screaming at in each other's face with a bullhorn. I mean, I think, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but okay. I can deal with some discomfort. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable but it's more worth it than it is uncomfortable. I mean, it is worth it. It's worth it. You know, we were just talking inside. We're going to go down to the protest on Saturday and Thomas is coming, which I'm glad to have, you know, a bigger person with me. And the girls were like, well, can we go? And I'm like, if you want, and one wants to go and one wants to stay home. And I'm like, I'm so glad to be doing this now. It's like, I wish it was 20 years ago. I was doing it but I'm so glad to be doing it now and having my kids be a part of it and see it. Yeah. Yeah. Being fully present where we are right now is the best we can do right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I love talking to you woman. I do too. Love it. Oh. I appreciate it. Okay. I'm going to hang up now. Love you. Okay. Love you. Love her. 
Oh, I wish you guys could all meet her. She's amazing. I thought there were two things that really, really stood out for me in this conversation. One was that when she was a young teacher and looking back now, how she realized if she had had an open mind and been more like a sponge and been able to absorb, she could have learned from these people instead of approaching it in fear. And perhaps in looking back, had that principal been able to counsel her that way too, it would have been a whole different situation. And she and I wouldn't be coming up on 50 learning these things. You know, she would have learned that in her 20s. So that was the first thing that I was like, wow, you know, what a great, um, what a great thing for her to recognize. And then the second thing that really stood out was the scripture. Oh, because it's so true. Because if something on your body is hurting, then everything else should, is hurting. And you can't make it through the day. And you, your body is sympathetic. And our bodies should be sympathetic. Um, if one part of humanity is in pain, the rest of us should bear that pain with them. And I just, I loved the way that she put that. I'm totally messing it up because she said it so much better. But anyway, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I'd love to get some feedback from you. So uh, you can definitely leave comments on this. And thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Totally. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is Diana Paquet, and I'm talking to my cousin, Rainy. So our family has eight cousins, and I'm the oldest, and she is the youngest of eight. And how old are you, Rainy? I'm 28. 28. And she lives in Idaho. So I just want to say thanks, first of all, for being being uh, open to chatting with me. And yeah, can you tell cool. me... Can you tell me about like where you live and what the population's like around you and you know what kind of people live around you? Um, I live in a tiny little town. It's called Stanley, Idaho. It's a population of on the sign it says 65. So yeah, so <laughs> here and there it just depends on what season it is, but it's roughly less than 100 people at all times. I think I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that lives in a smaller town. That's awesome. It is quite small. It's in, it's it's quite interesting when you go back to it, even just Boise closest to us, and it's giant compared to where we live. So when you were growing up in Boise, what was what was that like? So we grew up in a high school and a junior high that had this amazing. Um, it was called the ELL program. It was English language learners. So we did have quite a lot of diversity in my schools growing up, which was really amazing. A lot of people from the Middle East and Asia as well. So we grew up diverse, but it was also predominantly rich white kids that went there for sports. So it was a mixed bag. It's kind of how it is up here, too. There's a lot of very what the people call here liberal hippies and then Republican rednecks. So... We kind of have the same mixed bag up here. So Idaho is, it goes either way. You're either vastly liberal or you're completely staunch Republican. And it's hard to find that middle ground. Yeah, I bet. And there is so much gray. You know, it's not just black and white. So There is. Yeah. So I, one of the first things I want to get, get out of the way was just talking about, um, sort of the nervousness, because I know I feel a lot of apprehension. And uh, for me, last Sunday, I mean, uh, 
seeing everything that was so heartbreaking that happened recently and really like having my eyes opened and just every day something new coming up that I'm watching and really paying attention, there's also this underlying current for me as a middle-aged, middle-class, white, living in a predominantly white area that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to get involved. And so that, I mean, that is like the main way I felt. And then last Sunday, watching how people were behaving in my downtown, um, shouting at protesters saying, we don't want you here, get out of our town. It was, it just really kind of disgusted me because I felt like, gosh, you know, we welcome all kinds of people to come here and spend money for tourism. We love to have people come and fill our restaurants and fill our dress shops yeah, and shop. Definitely. But when it comes to peacefully protesting or speaking up or being heard, we're so unwelcoming and it made me really uncomfortable and sad. You know, it made me sad. So I wanted to speak up and I wanted to say something. And I just was like kind of weeping off and on all day. And then finally I spoke up and it's been a really interesting, you know, sort of like the support I've gotten, but then also some people that are like, you know, you need to do your homework and keep your mouth shut. I have gotten of both of those as well. It, it, mm-hmm. People that want to argue their points, but they don't want to hear anything that you've said because they have a complete different opinion, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. But I've had to tell people like we're both entitled to our opinions and you don't just get to push yours on people and expect it to just change everybody's around you. So it's been the same for me. I've gotten pushback and then people supporting as well. So it's, it, came to my attention mostly um I spoke to somebody actually in my family who I did not know was so racist and it was quite shocking Mm -hmm. so after I got off the phone with them I didn't say anything because I was so shocked and then I felt almost ashamed and embarrassed that I didn't speak up yep And so after that conversation, I think it really pushed me as well as watching you speak out against it. It made me feel like I had to say something. Otherwise, I felt like I was going along with what they were saying. And that wasn't what I wanted to put out there. So it was hard to do, but it was also something I felt like I really needed to do. I wrestled with it a lot because my best friend is a born activist. She's very outspoken and loud on her opinions against racial injustice and just everything in general. You can always look to her to have the facts and articles and books and podcasts to reference. And I really saw her being such an activist as well. And we had quite a lot of conversations about how much activism is enough. Like if you if you speak about it, is that enough? Or do you have to actively be posting about it? So we wrestled with that for a long time, or at least I did. And then I decided I didn't really, I didn't care about other people's opinions more than I cared about putting out the fact that I didn't agree with what was happening. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It's kind of, um, it's kind of scary to take a stand and it's it really way, is. gosh, it's way more comfortable. And I hid behind, um, you know, I owned a business for like 25 years and I always felt like as a salon owner, I really needed to remain neutral 
Yeah. Because you have different, you know, you have gay people working in your salon, you have Christian people working in your salon, you have all sorts of people. And there's all sorts of different people under those umbrellas. And I really felt like it was my job to just stay neutral and support and love everyone. Yeah. And it's been such a wonderful thing to be able to watch those people voice their opinions. And I realized I probably didn't need to keep my mouth shut so much. And I would have probably been attracted more like-minded people had I spoken up sooner and pushing away those people that I didn't really want around me anyway. Exactly. And I've realized that a lot where it's, it's so funny in the day and age we are now where it's like you, you have Instagram and you have Facebook and you say something on either one of those platforms and you watch people either like, you know, lose or gain followers. And it's just, it's really amazing to see it start to weed out the people that you really didn't want around. (laughs) I don't know exactly how to tell who's unfriending me, but I'll be like, Oh, I just went down to, well, exactly. I don't, I think, I don't know who it is. Exactly. I can can see who is friending me and I'm like, Oh, there's another beautiful black guy. Oh, there's another beautiful black older lady. And it's it's interesting because I do want to attract people around me that are more like-minded and feel like I feel. Exactly. Um, and, and I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't open my mouth. So that's a really awesome byproduct. I think another one of the like nervous parts is that I feel like for me, at f- you're 28. So you're 20 years ahead of me, right? You're 20 years ahead of me uh, at your wake up. Mm-hmm. I'm 48. So it's taking me, you know, to midlife to sort of start to grapple with these things. And I'm, I get nervous because I don't feel like I'm educated well enough, which is no one's fault, but my own. Cause let's face exactly. it, the information's out there, but I feel a bit ashamed that I haven't stepped up sooner or I don't know more right now. That's you- exactly how I feel. Um, I, I spoke to my friend about that yesterday. We were, she sent me a whole list of more references and things to look at the websites. And we were, we were talking about that and just the, the fear of also getting it wrong. And mm-hmm. I think that whole black square thing showed everybody that everybody just wanted to be a part of something, but then realized that it could have, it could have been addressed differently. I don't know the fear of the fear of that and not knowing, not knowing how to do it and how to do it mm-hmm. right. Especially mm-hmm. as a very privileged white woman here in Idaho, we have not that many people of color especially in the town I'm in and so Mm -hmm. I don't know it's a scary it's a scary thing to to start doing all around and it embarrassed me that I didn't know more as well Mm -hmm. and so that's one thing I want to and have been just I think that's I love the podcast availability now that you can just learn a lot more I've been instead of you know listening to music or watching tv just actually diving in and learning and listening, which I think, I think that's where I'm at right now is I need to sit and listen and learn a lot more Mm -hmm. from people who Mm -hmm. know more than me. So that's where I would like to, and I do, I'm proud of being active, but I want to continue to do that and not have it be something just that just like fans out because I am embarrassed that before this, I didn't speak up more because I Mm -hmm. did know what was going on, but it didn't, it didn't occur to me that my voice was needed or that it would be doing any good. But obviously you can educate a lot of people that um, look up to you or even just scroll past things that you post. So 
Well, and I think I, I've talked to some other ladies. I just talked to um, one of my girlfriends who's Hispanic, but doesn't, you know, doesn't look like your typical Hispanic lady. And she doesn't, she lives a very upper, upper middle class life. And she said, I think a lot of people, it's maybe they don't realize that I'm a Mexican um, and her husband's white. So her kids look a little less Mexican. Yeah. Um, but the point, the point is that she and I were talking about that by her speaking up, and other women who are like, oh, well, she wears the same kind of leggings that I do. And she goes to the same kind of yoga class and we spend the same and we look similar. And this is how this person that I look up to feels. I think that that's the power of, uh, you know, even though, even though we don't really know what we're talking about and we're just sort of diving in, we're just scratching the surface. I think the power of speaking up and, and having unity together is really important. I do as well. And I think Mm -hmm. um, overcoming that, I listened to a podcast this morning and the woman who was speaking said, you can always be afraid, but if you keep pushing over that hump, then it will subside. It will get less and less scary Mm -hmm. the more you talk about it. So the more you talk about it and the more comfortable, you know, I feel like I had a conversation with a girlfriend and I, I, in her mind, I misspoke. I said something that, um, that, she didn't agree with. And she spoke up and said that to me. So me making her feel safe to say that. And then her saying that to me and me feeling safe to say, well, that's not really what I meant, but thank you for telling me that because you're right. Regardless, my words have power and I have to be really careful with what I say. Exactly. Um, It's really, it's a really important and it's a very, it's a, it, words can be so powerful. They can be. And that's why I think that it's been hard for me to choose exactly what to say for so long. And then once I finally kind of sat down and put it into words, which I posted that first mm-hmm. post, um, it felt it felt good to finally be able to get it out. But then also it felt like even that is just a small start where we could where I could do a lot more now. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we've my fiance, Josh, and I have wrestled with going down to Boise for these peaceful protests that they're having or not, and whether that that would be the right decision or safe or all of these things. And it feels like we should, but then there's also that, that fear of, I don't want to be making it, making this movement into something that is about white people being, I don't want it's scary to think that people would people feel as if white people are using this movement as a like as a attention thing does that make any sense and I'm afraid that that's what's happening down in Boise a little bit and so we've wrestled with that and what we should do and how Mm -hmm. how we can help so we've donated but I'm kind of at that point right now where I would like to just stay active but then listen to the people around me that Mm-hmm. can continue to inform me and inform mm-hmm. me what to do and what not to do because like we talked about the black square thing it's I don't want to be a part of a bandwagon for this wow. I want to be active I mean, and actively actively active if that makes any sense very very powerful statement and it makes a lot of sense because you know you want you want to do the right thing and then there's so many people out there talking and so what exactly is the right thing Exactly. It's hard because there's no leader of this movement. It's just all kind of all our own on our own, 
on our own terms, basically, which mm-hmm. is amazing, but yet it is a little bit difficult where you just don't know what exactly to do. Well, you know what? I've, I've been, do- you know, I've been doing all the, like, I've been, oh my gosh, I've done so much stuff this week. Just, I'm just so immersed in it right now. And um, I kind of woke up this morning thinking, you know, I wonder if we'll ever go back to, I see these people posting like, oh, we're at the river or whatever. And not that people can't have a life, but this just seems like such a big deal to me. Right. And it seems like to some people, it's something that they want to speak up about once and then glance over. Yeah. Which I think that that's the hardest thing is you don't want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that all of us have finally spoken up and Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a good push to everybody becoming more of an activist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was always very proud of and looked up to people who were activists in my life and growing up but never felt like I had that big enough of a voice right so just to even say anything is better than saying nothing I feel yeah I mean you you were saying something about like oh I don't want you know I'm afraid I'm gonna fumble um but gosh there's no bigger fumble than keeping your mouth shut and because exactly. by keeping and your mouth shut, you're, you're essentially saying, I'm okay with this. And I, exactly. And I really didn't, I, I guess I never thought of it that way. I always just thought I didn't know enough about it to be in, like, to be an activist. So I might as well just keep my mouth yeah. shut. And then I, I never thought of it as that way, where if I keep my mouth shut, I'm going along with the oppressor, basically. Right. I always thought, oh, you know, I'm a hairdresser and I believe in, you know, if you look good, you feel good, you know, and I believe in being nice to people. But as time has rolled on, I'm like, man, that, wow, that really wasn't enough. And the people that I look to, like politicians, I'm like certainly a preacher or a politician or some kind of an activist or or somebody, somebody, like some news anchor, someone's going to figure this out and make this all work. And it just, is kind of like if you look back at what was going on in the 60s, what happened in the 90s, and what's going on now, there's too much of the same thing that keeps repeating itself. Repeating it itself. Is. It's very sad how much it repeats mm-hmm. itself. This right here, and it's, it's the saddest thing is that you really don't realize how much it happens every day, every year, and it's not even just like gaps in between it. It's just constant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it's it's kind of shocking that now that a lot of things come to light that a lot of people didn't know happened as often, now you see it and you just, it's sad and disgusting to know that it's not reported as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a very, it's been eye-opening to me to see the names and the lists and the, like the you know, the pictures of people that you people have been posting of memorials and remembrances Mm -hmm. of and things that you've never even heard of. But it was, I don't know, it's, it's constant modern day lynching is what it feels like it is that nobody really pays attention to because they just want to turn a blind eye to it. So it's hard. It's been a really weird week for me as well talking to people up here and trying to kind of open the conversations with people and then you get very either supportive opinions or very very different opinions so 
it is hard because you don't want to fight or argue with people, but then you want everyone to know like where you stand. So it's been, it's been very, an eye opening week for me, honestly. Yeah. I think it's almost more comfortable to get in there and talk about this kind of stuff. If where you're living is a very diverse area. Because then you have a whole bunch yeah. of people that are standing up together that think the same way. I feel the same way in, in Huntington. Exactly. There's, I think that there's a contingency of people that think that if you say Black Lives Matter, that you're saying that, you know, you don't love, appreciate, and recognize yes, the job exactly. that police officers are doing. And that's just not true. I mean, we have police officers in our family, and we have friends, and, exactly. uh, you know, we have cousins back east that are you know, they're like, oh yeah, there's 12 guys on our squad that have COVID right now. These are like entrenched New Jersey police officers. Yeah. I read, I read some yeah. of Brian's um, posts and I, I didn't know like that he was so, and I mean, obviously, you know, he's a police officer, but I didn't know he was so involved in different. Yeah, he's different... quite decorated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So yes, I, I did. I kind of looked into that and I think a lot of people do want to jump on that bandwagon of if you say Black Lives Matter, then you're saying everybody else doesn't either. And I think that's an interesting thing to see people try to grapple, try in the nicest way to mm-hmm. grapple and then explain mm-hmm. to other people that's, that sometimes just don't right. get it. So, right. So there's two points I, I wanted to that popped in my head. One, our cousin Brian, in in his letter, which I thought was beautiful, he said that what he felt like happened was that this police officers lost, um, lost humanity. Yes, they lost conscious conscience of the fact that that was a human behind below them, and the way yes, the guy that I was, did, was like kneeling that. on him, it almost felt like he was kneeling on a bag of trash, you know. And you, yeah, that's the thing. It's not a black issue; it's a humanity issue. And I loved what he said about that. Maybe I'll ask him if I can link this in these little show notes. Although I don't even know how to do that. I did read that. I thought that was quite an interesting take on it. Something that I've not really yeah. thought of. And then on the flip side of that, you know, you think like, well, obviously, Black Lives Matter. And I, like a month ago, I would say to myself, uh huh, and all lives matter. We all matter. I didn't, it didn't really resonate with me, but I do have one of my best friends here is a black girl and she's raising two black, beautiful boys that are good friends with my daughters. They're over for dinner once a week. Well, not right now during COVID, but just we're very close with them. I love them dearly. And I've been talking to her every day because she's a single mom and I want to check in on her. And last night we're on a FaceTime, baby's crawling all over me. And she told me she's, she's got a very high powered job. Um, as for a woman, she's a contract, like a contractor who builds uh, like these skyscraper kind of apartments and stuff like that. So she's got a really big, okay. cool job. I'm so impressed by her. So she said, Hey, guess what? And I said, what? And she said, um, our CEO sent out a letter. And at the top of the letter, it said black lives matter. And you, she, the way that she described it, it was almost like he had sent out other things that we stand by our black brothers and sisters, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, he, he never said the words. And she's like, he said the words. And I think that's the thing. Like uh, these families that are brown and black in our communities need to hear us say, you matter to us. We see you. We see you. We hear you. It matters to us. And that's the whole point. Um, Of course, I think that there's been 
horrible things that have happened between the police and Black Lives Matters and uh, lives lost on both sides that I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with destruction of property. And I do believe in our police. I, I think that the vast majority of our police officers are good people. I know them. I love, you know. I do as well. I don't think that a lot of them are bad, but there are those people that I think abuse do abuse power and I think that that's where a lot of the anger from protesters are coming from is people misusing power or feeling like they can they can do certain things because they're in a police uniform or you know on the other end of a protest so I do agree with there's not I don't think all cops are bad or police force is bad but I do think that some of the people inside of it do need to look at the reason why they're becoming um angry and violent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would say i heard a really interesting quote um it was basically about how when as a teacher like in a classroom when students wreck the classroom when they throw and like break things she said when they completely melt down that's called trauma and we're supposed to respond by standing with them and working to heal and what's happening with the world and in many other places is an act of trauma, a kind of trauma that any white person cannot fathom and a kind of trauma that source is deep um, and generational and it stems from oppression, torture and a longstanding hate. And it was basically saying that these protests are an act of people showing that they're, they're, over, they're over the traumatic things that are happening to people of color. So I thought that was a really interesting quote. And how it was basically saying that they, she thought that law enforcement and people in the world should stand with the people mm-hmm. and protest with them for the injustices. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting way. Her name was redacted on Facebook, so I didn't get to see who it was, but I thought that was a really interesting I, take yeah, on it. I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. And I love that. If you figure out who wrote it, or you find it. Her name was completely blacked um, out. So I've tried to look, but it was one of those things where someone reposted mm-hmm. it, but then blacked yeah. it out for her. So, but I can send you the quote. I can send it to you so you can post it. Cause she, I, I saved it, but I thought that was a really interesting way to look in, look at it where I think the world is going through a collective trauma of just being mm-hmm. fed up, which is I don't agree with the property destruction and looting and things like that. I think there are people that like to take advantage mm-hmm. of um, protests and riots and things like that. But I do, I do think that without a lot of that, that this message would probably not have been heard as loud. So I think it really, it, it there is good and bad, I think from it, because I think that things like that have to happen for certain people to actually wake up and look into yep. it. Yeah. Do you, this is leads me to my last question that I have for you. I'm wondering, do you think that there's a particular reason that this particular case has woken us up? Because there's been so many others. I think because it was so wildly shared. Like, I didn't know what I was watching. I was scrolling through Facebook that day and I was just, you know, on a break and I was tootling through Facebook and then this video started playing and I watched it and I didn't know I it was shocking I could not even believe that that was what people were seeing and that that happened and so I think because it was I think because of now the day and age of 
Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all of these social media outlets where people can literally instantaneously share it. I think that that's why this became so big so fast because so many people were able to view it and not just hear about it and then have the have the blind eye where it's like it's just nothing to do with me so I'm not going to watch it I think a lot of people it was put in their faces and even there are some people that hadn't seen it that I felt like it was something that they had because even my own mother she hadn't seen what had happened but she had heard about it and I told her, I was like, you need to watch it so that you can understand where this outrage is mm -hmm. coming from, from people. So I think that, that the, the way that it was wildly shared, I think even, even on the news, like the, just the, that really brought a lot of attention to it that I think that this movement needed all along, but nobody really saw what was going on. Everybody just heard about it. Yeah. I think, um, for me also because we've been pretty much just together in our house for three months and our faces have been pretty much in our phone you know um more than I'd yeah. like to admit that's just like the obviously same with me yeah. too you know the bottom line for my kids is do your schoolwork get some exercise do something creative and they can get all of that done in like three hours and then the rest of the day it just seems like phone in a face you know and I think it's such a pressure cooker because we've all just been stuck inside together anyway. And then, you know, to have something like that put in your face, it was just like a big wake up call. And I, and it I was. think such a heartbreaker too. Um, I think the fact that he screamed uh, for his deceased mother uh, at one point yes. really is something that sort of like polarizes, like it brings up that He's a yeah, it brings up that feeling of like, yeah. this is someone's son, you know, this is, yeah, yeah. so. He was a terrified human. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was definitely a humanizing experience. Um, so I am going to wrap this up by saying this to you, my lady. I, I know this. I'm 20 years older than you. I am super nervous about speaking out. I am a stay in my lane kind of a lady. I've never been very... Um, activated or active or anything like that when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think that you speaking out and the people that um, are watching you will be really affected by this. And I think especially with consistency and just like any other goal, if you're doing a little bit about it every day, if you're learning a little bit out of out every day, it's not a flash in the pan. It's something that you really care about. And I, exactly. I, I absolutely loved hearing what you yeah. had to say about everything. And um, I just, I did. I, I loved hearing what you had to say as well. It was a really interesting, it's interesting to get different perspectives. And yeah. I do like it. And getting to talk to someone who, you know, lives in a whole different state. It just, it just makes me feel um, more empowered. Like, yeah, let, we got this. We, we need to speak up and we need to empower other people who look like us to feel like they can too. I agree. And I feel like even this sounds even small and trivial, but if I can even change my own, my own mother and a few family members beliefs about it, just by showing them, basically showing them the humanity of what happened, that was a life taken of a human being, regardless of what color right. they were. I think that that is a really important thing for mm -hmm. me. I think that I didn't really, I didn't know that was so important. But now that, now that I know that a lot of people will look up to what we have to say 
that I think it's important to continuously share and educate. I'm proud to the fact that I can have conversations with my mom about this and she actually gets it where 10 years ago, if you would have had this conversation with her, she would have been on the exact opposite side. So I think it's really cool to have these hard conversations because it teaches people it teaches people to be better, which is, I think, all around what we're trying to do, trying to do for mm-hmm. everyone and mm-hmm. for ourselves. I nanny a little girl, and the quote I always tell her is, I'm only here to teach you how to be a good human. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you know what? I bet you're doing a great job at it. They should give you a raise. I hope so. <laughs> okay, hope well, so. I love you, sweetheart. I'm going to get off the phone. It I was love nice you to too. talk to you. It was so good to okay, talk to you. Okay, take care, my love. Oh. You as well. Goodbye.